0: forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism this offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled today's podcast is brought to you by audible you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash pixelsift and you can support the show which is always something i'm sure you're all very happy to do when you're there, you can pick up over 180,000 titles, uh, and you can listen to them on your iPhone, on your Android, on your Kindle, on anything you want. Really, basically, the the world is your oyster. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Pixel Sift for another week. My name is Gianni and we are here with my co-hosts Mitch, my co host Scott, hey. and we're also joined this week by uh, Ash Ringrose. He's from SMG Studios uh, based over East. Ash, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thank you for having having me.
0: Very welcome to have you here, and uh, look, we're going to be talking a little bit about your game uh, a bit further on in the show, which is called Death Squared, came out on Tuesday. Um, but for now, though, what other topics are we checking out?
2: Yeah, so with all the controversy regarding gambling and gaming, you, over the past year, you would think that some of the industry would be giving it a rest, but a new player, Rumble Monkey, is now ready to shake up the scene. Entering the arena. That's also, it. T. Martin, I'm looking at you. Behave <laughs> yourself. <laughs>
3: And uh, finally, we'll be taking a look at the marketing side of online influencers and what happens when they touch
0: on controversial territory. All that more coming up on Pixel Sift Sift Episode 65. We've also got some good announcements as well, so stick around with us. We will be back with those at the end of the show. Right. You're listening to Pixel Sift. So
3: there's
2: a new application or service called rumble monkey and it is allowing gamers to bet actual money on the matches they play online um they're focusing primarily on hearthstone i believe to begin with and it allows players to pretty much wager against each other
0: in the online space this is really interesting for me um, because this type of wagering is sort of something that is. Uh, I was explaining this to Scott earlier today, that, but it's very similar to what you do when you play the Australian game, the Australian tradition of two up. Basically, you, uh-huh. you, you find someone uh, and say, Mitch, I go to you and I say, hey, I want to play you against, against you in Hearthstone. Yep. Uh, a dollar, uh, I'll put in a dollar and you put in a dollar, and whoever wins gets two dollars. Yeah, you're going to win.
2: My, your Hearthstone deck is a lot uh, better than mine
0: well we'll see how we go but yeah. basically that's the premise of the thing that you can kind of have this multiplayer platform where people are doing sort of ad hoc person to person I guess it's is it is it peer to peer gambling is that the way that we're kind so. of describing yeah. it um, but yeah this this platform has kind of come out and is being very heavily pr- promoted had a really big uh, uh, showing at it looks like at, at PAX East as well um, which is the most recent PAX which was in Boston on the weekend Um what, what do we think about this particular this particular platform, and, and do we think it's going to make a, a migration down to uh, Australia?
2: Well, it's it's almost like a a prize pool kind of situation, isn't it? It's not really gam, and I wouldn't call it gambling in the traditional sense. It's like you're not really placing bets on the outcome; you're kind of wagering against your own skill and someone else's
0: skill. That's how I interpreted it. So uh, it's it's yeah. not really a pool, but it's kind of like a two person pool in a way, I guess. that right. both people put in. Um, and you're basically going against other people. Yeah.
2: Well, so. like, how is it different from like paying an entry fee to a tournament, for example? What? Is that- how is it different yeah. to gambling? Yeah, yeah. it's I'd very different. Like, is, it, like,
3: is it? I, I don't see how this is not gambling. Like, it's, it's. Yeah, it
2: seems like it was more. It would seem like it was more between the two. Players involved, but I might be interpreting it wrong. Okay, maybe, yeah. and
3: I might be wrong as well. I yeah. might be jumping the gun, but I feel like because uh, they are very quick to say that it's legal and it mm-hmm. works, uh, but th- legal le-
0: uh, asterisk, yes, okay. legal in a couple of places in the United this, States. That,
3: this is a very important part of it. It's a, it's, a, it's, a le- <laughs> yeah, it's legal. It's in a few places in America, which is you know fifty little countries basically smashed together. Uh, so illegal in Australia. Like <laughs> I don't see how this is possible in Australia. Like we have the. Um, In Australia, anyway, we have the Interactive Gambling Act uh, in 2001, and that basically regulates all online gambling. And although although it's possible to do that here still, it's not from Australian companies. So, it's all offshore companies, and basically, Australia kind of just lets it happen because it's obviously really hard for them to do. So, that's the only way it would kind of run here is if it was – I think of it more like, um, say, Uber. It kind of runs in this gray area where everyone knows it's sketchy and whatever but for some reason Uber just still stays around and it's dominating the globe. Um there was a similar kind of uh dark ish kind of uh this website called Silk Road where you could purchase all sorts of dodgy sorts of um you know d- drugs and stuff like that. Uh also running in this kind of gray area where it's totally kind of illegal but they're running legally and that got shut down. I think this will be more like that and be shut down eventually because uh, it just seems like it's taking the mickey. A it little may bit. not even make it here to be shut down. Uh, probably not. Yeah.
0: Ash, I'm wondering what uh, you think about this uh, particular platform coming out. I know you said you've got a few kids. Would, would you be wanting to keep this away from your kids and is this the sort of thing that you'd probably be discouraging them from, from going towards?
1: Yeah, No. I, th- I think I want them to spend their money the gambling of the Australian way is casinos, right? And yeah,
0: exactly. Are, <laughs> they need to get through those lockout laws. One
1: hundred percent, one hundred percent legal way in Australia is to use the pokies. And uh, it's quite interesting because, because we're a developer, we've actually been hit up twice by Gamblit and Cashplay, and these are more mobile-based um, gambling wagering um, platforms. Where you know they've, they've asked us like, oh, add this SDK, like a software a bit of code to your game, and let people bet on. Um, you know, the the games that we have, and we kind of shied away from it because, A, yeah, it's going to... You know, you don't want to mess with Apple and Google because doing something like that, and it just becomes just a bit dodgy, you know? Like, it's... Anytime there's... Even if it's just little bits of money, like $1 and $2, there's going to be people out there, $1 or $2 is actually a lot of money to them, and you're going to get people scamming other people, and it's just... It's just not on, you know? I think... uh, I did joke about casinos and pokies, but at least uh, you can be physically barred from those places, I think internet's a much harder place to kind of bar people who have problems with gambling. And um, that's, that's maybe one positive reason why we still have... Uh, uh, sorry, we've we banned internet gambling. Um, not, not because there's so many powerful casinos in Australia.
0: Sorry, Scott. What I think is really interesting about this is this, to me, seems like it's perfectly primed for money laundering. Like, if you want to get rid of a bit of cash, um, stick a couple of people playing Hearthstone and let them lose their matches. Let them do it convincingly. Pay them a little bit of money. Um, Interestingly enough, Tabcorp, um, which is one of the big gambling uh, outfits in Australia, just got fined $45 million today for not preventing this money laundering. Um, I just can't see the U.S. authorities letting it or the Australian authorities kind of letting it get past that point.
3: No, you're 100% right, uh, with, uh, especially um, with the, uh, Ash, when you mentioned the kind of um, risk of, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, illegal activity jumping into it, any kind of gambling or anything going on where money is getting uh, kind of accumulated, uh, and one is going to be rife for exploitation, uh, and I think that's a thing, and another thing on top of this, like, we already have quite a huge problem with gambling in Australia. Like, it's a bit part of our culture. I mean, we're a bit right there. Like we're a bunch of rebels who drink too much and spend too much and smoke too much and whatever. But, like, over 80% of Australian adults, uh, you know, gamble in some kind, in some way or shape or form, which is the highest in the world. Like, we don't need this. America, sure, maybe they can have it, but I, can, I cannot see this flying in Australia. For for many reasons.
0: Well, look, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who, um, you know, try it on and see what happens. Oh, look, and
3: they'll figure it out. There's always going to be ways because it's an internet site, so the people are going to be able to access it. It's probably more for us up to the games and the networks that they're played upon to, um, you know, filter this kind of behavior out.
0: It'll be re- yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with this one. Uh I guess this is a, a very developing story, so we'll definitely come back to this one here. But for now though, let's uh jump into I think before oh, we before yes. we
2: move on, I think just if anyone needs help with gambling related issues, I think you can visit sites like uh Gamblers Anonymous Australia. That's gaustralia.org.au if you need any help there yep, regarding help that situation. There. Lifeline. Lifeline as well. at- yep. Lifeline also has a service that is that they have specialists also that deal with gambling problems as well. So
0: Good point. Glad I we do stayed not with be them. afraid Can to. Can
1: I add one? I had one small anecdote is yeah. I met someone who works at a pokey company um, doing the software, and they said they have AI in the software that determines the, based on how hard you press the button and how fast you press the button, it adjusts the payout ratio so it will hook you better because they know that you're a, a noob uh, pokey player, and they'll uh, up the payout. And then when and then when they determine that they've got you hooked based on, you know, you press, the hardness you press, they adjust the payout um, differently.
2: I did not wow. know
1: that. Yeah. Look, so it's like I always knew there was like an out, you know, obviously the house always wins. Yeah. But I didn't mm-hmm. realize they are getting so uh, kind of sneaky in that level. So I think I'm I, I'm I'm one that goes in, just puts one bet on a roulette uh, anytime I'm at a casino just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that, you know, it hurts a lot of people. So Getting that into video games—it just feels like you know, come on—is nothing safe, you know.
2: Yeah. So, that, I, yeah, I think that's. Uh, I that, I've, get that out of here. Anyway, <laughs> to finish Look. to finish off that, the, the gambling helpline is one 858
0: and that's if, if you're in other countries, obviously just give it a Google. There's plenty of help out there. I'll tell you what, you can't uh, get hooked on, or maybe you can get hooked on it. it might destroy your relationships, <laughs> but uh, Ash's game, uh, Ash's big Death big. Squared, uh, which uh, we will talk about in one second. We'll be right back.
2: Pixel Siv.
0: It's not Pixel Siv. It's
2: Pixel Sifter. Pixel Siv.
0: Ash Ringrose is the studio head at SMG Studio. Uh, now, Ash, you had a game come out on Tuesday, Death Squared. Um, I know uh, it, you. I heard in a GCap talk that you gave at last year's GCap that you were kind of wanting to get the perfect balance of of getting it right, um, and it came out on Tuesday. So, for people who haven't seen it, um, what is Death Squared?
1: It's a uh, co-op puzzle game. And you can play it single player as well, where you basically guide coloured bots to their destination. Uh, I like to say it's more like a 2D or a really accessible version of Portal 2. Uh, And we have a bunch of levels, and it's basically the way you play. When you play co-op or you can play single play with the two sticks, um, everything you do kills the person you're trying to play with. So you basically have to cooperate and coordinate with each other to not kill each other while you're solving the puzzle.
0: We played quite a bit of this last week. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> we we played uh, four players on three controllers, which was an interesting experience yeah. as well. A lot of uh, friendship was uh, tested in those moments as we <laughs> tried to work our way through the puzzle. One of the things that kind of really captured me, and you, and you did sort of bring it up there, was that um, uh, the portal element. And something that I think that portal and this game does really well is the, the balance between uh, failing um, and being able to restart. Uh, how, did, how did it... Like, how do you find that balance between making it sort of tricky enough so that people want to keep playing, um, but not so tricky that they, they stop playing?
1: Yeah, that's that's a big uh, credit to Pat, the main designer and the kind of you know, person that came up with the idea. Um, he wanted that instant, you know, as soon as you die, instant restart. So, you know, you don't really penalise for the death. And also keeping the levels quite tight and small. So, you know, you don't want to get through you know, 27 different steps and then die and go, oh, I just can't be bothered doing it again. They're all nice and, you know, little, uh, you know, little tight, little puzzles. And, you know, and if you die, you know, okay, well, I can do that, you know, in the next 30 seconds again. So there it was definitely um, a, a few levels and we've got them in the vault where they were just became too long and it, well, they weren't so much hard, but just more like laborious. And so that was that was a big craft that, that was was the majority of the time was crafting the levels and tuning them. And I don't know Pat was tuning the levels down to like the last couple of days, um, you know tweaking them, making them more obvious or you know more uh, uh, intuit, intuitive is a better word. so yeah it, it was it was a definite conscious effort from Pat and the, and Hamish doing the levels.
0: Now one of the recommendations you gave to us when we were playing the game was to get other people on board. To try out people who are non-gamers, yeah. who, who breaks first, who uh, you know starts drawing controllers, starts uh, chucking a hissy fist? is it the people who have played a lot of games or the people who are sort of new to the experience? Uh,
1: I think it's it's just based on your personality, really. Like if you like solving puzzles, then it's more about you know it, it's whether it's whether you can uh, communicate. So you know, you may the person who not is not really a gamer might just be you know, really good at puzzles and the person who's a proper game is like, you know, more a first person shooter person. So I think it's down to like how well you work together. You know, I like to say it's like putting together Ikea furniture without the instructions. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone's put furniture together, but sometimes it's just like, I, I, is that the right one? Is that it? And you get halfway through and you're like, oh, I got to undo it. And then the other person just says, look, you go, I'll finish it off. It's the, it's the person who doesn't, you know, just doesn't have the patience.
0: One of the things I was wondering about as well with sort of the non-gamer audience is that, and you, you mentioned this as well in the GCAP talk when you were talking about um, launching Thumb Drift, is you're pitching it to people who aren't gamers, maybe are not super familiar with the d- sort of the visual language and the design language of games. How do you teach people how to play this thing if this maybe this is the first time they've played it? Maybe they're over at a friend's house and someone just hands them a controller. Yeah, uh,
1: that that is the, the being the best part of this game is the, level, the introductory levels are so easy to understand. It's, you know, If you can move up, down, left, right, you can play this. And so we've shown this a lot. Of, we've basically been to like almost every PAX in the last two years. And we just hand people a controller and say, work as a team, and that's all you need to know. And that's probably the biggest thing is most people are used to, oh, two people? I have to beat this person. Other than that, everything else is really intuitive. So we just have to tell people, you play as a team. And that was probably the biggest hurdle because a lot of these party games it's won won, you know, one versus uh, one you one versus everyone you know free-for-all. Um, there's not many games where we actually work together so that's probably the biggest hurdle there. but really it's um, very uh, clean visual in terms of you know it's very obvious what you need to do and we, and the, the levels kind of guide you we, we basically didn't put any text in there saying other than the, the voiceover saying you know all right get to the circles. And that's all you need to know is just repeat that process and the, the discovery of each level is kind of the fun of the game you know we don 't want to tell people watch out there's spikes and spikes are bad you know you learn that by dying
0: when you're kind of getting people to sort of play this game um, what, what are some of the things that you've kind of learned from from people who aren 't gamers, like what are some of the feedbacks that you would kind of come across? And I'm also interested as well, because you talked very heavily about sort of the car culture uh, for thumb drift and, and moving into there. Yeah. W- what are some of these things that, that people tell you that you just don't see because you can't see the forest from the trees? Uh,
1: there wasn't too much. I mean, just the, I know Pat and Hamish, we did a lot of beta testing, like just getting people in every Friday, uh, you know, game students and stuff and just watching people play. And I think it was just making sure the levels didn't paint you into a corner where you had to kill yourself to um, restart the level. So there's a lot of times, which is very subtle, and you, you, know, you only notice it if you're one of the team, it's like if you push a block here, the block regenerates, or you push a block into a corner, when you move, another block will push it back so you can keep moving it. So we, we didn't want you to get to the point where you go like, oh, the only way to, to finish this, the only way to proceed is to kill ourselves. You know, so that, that was probably the biggest one, is just watching people where people get stuck and going, okay, if we add an extra block there, we can give them a way to go around that without making the puzzle easier or hard- harder.
0: You kind of describe SMG games as well as sort of like a skunk works as part of Soap Creative where you do a lot of sort of uh, ad work and a lot of client work for people. Yeah. Where do you want that balance to kind of sit when when you're making this? Do you want to be making games for the sake of making games as a, a independent studio or, or is it more, more enjoyable to be making work and, and doing good client work?
1: Uh, well, yeah, because Pat, um, Ilya... Mark, Lee, uh, you know, a lot of the people from SMG, I've worked with those guys for, you know, 6, 7, or uh, Hendrik, 6, 7, you know, to up to 10 years uh, through SOAP as well. So I think SMG was, for us, a way to... Sorry, that's my toddler playing Hot Wheels cars. Um, <laughs> SMG was our way to um, explore new ideas without the confines of a client brief and, you know, own our own IP and do some more, you know, smaller games, riskier games, um, and just and just have fun, so I think game you know if you look at our portfolio we 've got a tower defense game otdtd one more line like a one touch twitch thumb drift a car game this one a puzzle game it 's very eclectic and I think that just reflects that we 've got a whole bunch of ideas and we just want to k- make cool games um, we definitely uh, besides the one more series, everything else is kind of a different genre and because we just we just have we just love making games and you know i've i 've made Two hundred plus games over the, you know, the span of um, you know fifteen years at Soap, and I was just thinking before we jumped on, I was like, my first game was like back in ninety seven or ninety six when I worked graveyard shift at Kinkos. You know, I was making we're all making flash games, so it's just fun to do things where you can explore new ideas without the risk of you know, okay, this has to be, this has to sell the you know the the ice cream or the or the deodorant. You know, you can have a bit of fun fun with the games. With, minimal graphics and just pure gameplay.
0: If the balance shifted and, you know, say, for example, SMG wasn't as fun, um, you know, is it as fulfilling to be doing these client briefs and building innovative and interesting things for for people on a contract basis?
1: Uh, It depends. Like we've done a, like we did risk with Hasbro um, and it's a different dynamic when you're talking to like a global company. Um, Hasbro is, you know, and we're doing a thing with a film studio now as well well, you're dealing with the people that they own the brand, they live the brand. With risk, you know, we meet the, the risk brand team and these guys live and breathe it. You know, like they're heading out to Essen, the board game thing next, you know, the week after talking to us and they know the, the brand back to front. And you're like, oh, it's so refreshing talking to, and they have an entrepreneurial spirit as well. Um, so I think we're kind of spoiled now. We've had this success of SMG, which has rekindled my entrepreneurial kind of uh, tendencies we're, we're working with global brands and you know other people that are really invested in the whole game scene and and love it so i don't think i I can really go back too much on that it's you know we we, we're kind of a bit more choosy now on the game side because it's like we just want to work with people that are excited as we are versus you know okay well that's going to pay well and right now the smg stuff um for us is you know being quite successful so it's it's rewarding in that sense
0: very good spot to be in um now ash if people want to find out a bit more about your game uh it's it's out now um where should people yeah. go to to check it out
1: uh you can go on your xbox your playstation 4 or steam or, or just go to com, and we've got the links there check out some of the reviews and stuff but yeah if you're interested in a uh pu- if you like puzzle games or you're any kind of a curious type person you know check it out it's a you know, it's a very original game, and, and also if you got you know your grandparents that you want to connect with, or you've got kids that you know searching on the Xbox and PlayStation for games to play with my kid, and you know there's not that many there. Um, you know, a lot of them are violent and stuff like that. So it's one of those games that you can play along with them. You know, it's not about you know kicking your uh, seven-year-olds' ass in, in Street Fighter. You, you know you get to work together
2: even though that is
0: really fun, That's so, so much like, fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's fun for like it's fun for like the, two times and then when they're crying you're like oh, this is fun <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah they'll, yeah. they'll but come if, back ash might, <laughs> yeah you might be a you might be a gamer and your partner's not a gamer you know we want to try and encourage that um and i keep saying to people like if you get your grandma or grandpa um or you you know stream stream online with your mom because that'd be great because i think it would just be proof that we have built we have succeeded in the game design that we that pat set up for
0: definitely a very fun game we played a fair bit of it so you can also jump over onto our social channels as well and see that the there first 20 levels of that right now though let's jump into our next topic
2: you're listening to pixel Sift, or you might be watching pixel Sift on twitch pixel Sift.
3: So, recently, we've had a few online influencers get into a heap of trouble for their views expressed through their extensive channels and networks. Big-time YouTuber PewDiePie, for example, with well over 20 million subscribers, was recently dropped by Disney for some inappropriate anti-Semitic views. So, our final topic for today, will be looking at the extensive marketing power of these influencers and what happens when these influencers and their views uh, and opinions go roguish
0: you uh, used uh, influences in the car uh, communities for thumb drift um, what, what is this sort of uh, how does this sort of make you feel when you're kind of linking up with these these communities and, and you know you think maybe one point they might
1: go rogue oh, it's I'm a i am I have multiple my views change like daily uh, I mean for me some I think some of these people forget that these are real these are just normal people you know we get and same with like we're the game developers and we get people compl- you know telling us you know where you know they you know we're the worst because they didn't like our game and you email them back saying like we're just people like what, what's your problem and I think some sometimes the media kind of likes to hype it up and the media makes a lot of money on page views you know so for them if it's a controversial kind of um, you know oh, someone' someone's done something naughty or you know hey I think we can hype this up they just they just want it for the page views um, and so I think they're just there, they're there to hype it up and make it blow blow everything out of proportion. And I think a lot of times, you know, humor is hard. Humor definitely needs context and humor is hard to um, get across in just text. And I think a lot of these guys, a lot of these other guys aren't media trained either. Mm. So for them, it's just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a person and I'm just saying funny stuff versus I think a lot of celebrities will get media training. And it's like, well, I can't say that because the studio has told me, I can't do that, so it's too risky. Um, so it's, I don't know. Like For me, I think these guys just, and there seems to be a lot of guys, um, just get the rough end of the stick because things just get blown out of proportion.
0: I think you're basically on the money there. This is the sort of feeling that I generally fall down on in that these people have kind of grown up with the medium. Um, these are usually young people who... who you know, I've been praised for being kind of raw and authentic. Um, And sometimes things are a bit too raw for some people because they have a different context. Um, And, yeah, I mean, obviously there are some things that are going to fall. You know, they always talk about the pub test and some things aren't going to pass the pub test. Um, But, yeah, I think this is uh, this situation where, um, you know, people are just people and they can say silly things. And sometimes if you've got 70 million followers, uh, that means a lot of people see your mistakes. So.
3: Look, uh, the internet is not the place to make inside jokes. You know, yeah, um, if, if you think it's a bit va- something's a bit vague or it's in a direction that could offend specific groups, do you know what? It's going to offend specific groups. Like, don't... I, I, I can't see them being surprised about this, especially in the age of uh, PC culture, um, which, you know, th- these kind of people would say could have gone too far, but I just think it's...
0: But you know what? The internet is built on inside jokes, Absolutely, so much but of you have to understand and- that if you
3: do your inside joke on Twitter, yeah. then you, uh, you're going to have a divide between your followers who... Some people are not going to give a crap about it at all and just be like, oh, whatever, you made a joke and it wasn't that funny. you probably went too far, whatever. Mm. But you're also going to get the people that are going to be really abs- like, you know, insulted by that. Then you've got the other people who would like attack the people that got insulted for, like, <laughs> as if they're wrong for you know, being uh, you know, some politically correct-minded. It does um, seem look- that
2: PewDiePie has made a reputation being very out there and very random and very bodacious about the way he approaches comedy and how he he approaches comedy without restriction or without without bounds of traditional guidelines and i think that's what people like about him as well so that that's also part of his strength and i think he maybe just played to his strength a little bit too much this time
3: absolutely and I, i agree completely with that and that that's what i mean by like you know Being careful about making inside jokes and, you know, uh, offending specific groups. Like, your intentions uh, can be misconstrued so easily, especially when you're doing text-based communication. Um, So, you know, if you're, I don't know, if you're going to be out there and throw it into somewhere where you know it can be misconstrued and taken out of context, then don't be surprised when it backfires. I think
0: there's a really interesting sort of, I I guess... uh there's two sides to this, oh, and these yeah. people are so uh, – they're influencers, and they are very valuable to a lot of companies. Um, they are something that – some people are being kind of used by those things for their for their influence and for their, their um, you know, the community's connection that they have. Mm. But when you kind of tie that up with them being closely connected to a brand – Brands are obviously going to be generally more conservative than Joe Bloggs. They need to think about the broader thing, but the person who's making the content or whoever's doing whatever doesn't need to because they have their audience and their audience gets it. Um, And I think this is where this situation sort of arises. And, you know, Disney, for example, uh, where it was uh, talked about cancelling deals with PewDiePie as part of some of the things he did, they jumped on his brand because they thought he was a valuable person to attach themselves to. Um, And, maybe didn't do the full due diligence in order to, to work out exactly what his brand was.
3: Yeah, I th- uh, that's more of a bad play by Disney than PewDiePie, even though like what he did was pretty wrong and a bit over the line. But, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm, like you said, Disney's fault for not doing the research, I guess. I'm
2: curious to see whether it would have been a big deal if Disney hadn't dropped him, because it seemed like that it the reason why this story kind of annoyed me a little bit is because people seem to be making a big deal about this only because Disney dropped him for it. Like if he didn't, if Disney had just maybe kept him on or didn't have a or didn't sign him in to begin with, I wonder if this would have even been that much of an issue, because there are more ballistic things on the internet yeah. that more famous
3: people have done. Well, mm. and that's kind of what like, Ash said. You know, once the media got a hold of it, they really kind of blew it apart, and you know, mm. it almost gave Disney no choice but to act upon and do something about it, kind of thing. Um, I wish we had a little bit more time because there are a bunch of other really good examples away from PewDiePie that are probably more fitting uh, to the topic, just not Mm. as
0: big scale. Ash, Um, just one thing I want to ask you before we sort of head into the final bit of the show. Um, What what is the value of of an influencer to you as a studio and what sort of – I mean, can you put a a specific dollar value on it or or, or give a ballpark? Uh, I
1: don't know if it's a dollar value, but I think what they bring is a connection – like almost like a one-to-many connection. You know, a lot of these people feel like they're friends with these people, and some, you know, some of them are. You know, whereas I think if you look at like a, a, an ad sitting somewhere, it's just a disconnected piece of content. I think influencers—it's it's almost like your best friend saying, "Dude, check this out. This is great." And I think that's what they bring—that kind of personal friend word-of-mouth recommendation. So that's supremely powerful these days. It's the, you know, it's the influencers, the plays, phase. It's, people saying, you know, a personal recommendation is much stronger than um, you know, for me, like a, a review these days, you know. Um and so yeah, it's very powerful. And it is it is a bit risky when you think like, okay, this person may go I mean not not even I wouldn't say go A Wall, but it's just like they may there may be some bad uh press around them, but I guess that's the but I think you, you guys hit it in the we when you're saying like you get them because they have that audience, they have that connection, they have a personality and I'd much rather and these things will blow over as well you know a, a lot of the times you know I don't think they're mean-spirited in any way or hate, hateful it's just they get blown out so the the value there is that you know you, you're getting to their their audience is expecting that kind of raw level of honesty and sometimes it just gets blown out so it's hard to put a, a dollar value on it for sure I think as long as you, uh, for for us as SMG we try to build relationships with a bunch of these people and You know, you build that through doing quality products versus just having to pay people all the time.
3: Instead of just jumping on the bandwagon like Disney did, and then getting upset when you know their milk's all (laughs) spilled. Hey, we
0: don't know that Disney jumped on the bandwagon. Maybe he sat down with uh, one of the Disneys and you know had a cup of tea and they had a good conversation about the future of brand marketing and using person to person uh, personal recommendations. All right, paid money to be at that meeting. (laughs) Um, That's all we've got time for today. So Ash, thank you very much for joining us. Um, We are on every week. Uh, This has been Pixel Sift, uh, episode sixty five. We have a website where we're going to be sticking up some links to all of the stuff that we've been talking about today, so you can find a bit more context about what we've going on about, including links to Death Squared, where you can go and check that out. Uh, That website is www.pixelsift.com.au. Mitch, we've got other episodes as well, don't we?
2: Yes, they can be found on our website or on uh, Pocket Cast or iTunes. And if you can give us a star Google Play, Stitcher,
0: a bunch of other ones. Anywhere you can get it. Um, We've also got a bunch of episodes on YouTube as well, Twitch as well, wherever you Want to watch or listen yep. to something? All the things,
3: Scott. Yeah. We've
0: got um, a bunch of social channels and some special announcements. Do yep. we not?
3: So we've got our Facebook, Twitter, Twitch.tv and YouTube channels. Do check them out. Uh, but you know, also if you need a little bit more midweek pixel sifting action, you can head on over and check out the improvisational gaming comedy podcast, Lamestorming. In the most most recent episode, episode 12, our very own Mitch sits in to spin some comedic yarns while the boys test his podcasting loyalty. And if you're in Western Australia, don't forget to come and check us at Oz Comic-Con Saturday, 25th of March at 8pm. Once again, this year, we will be hosting a live show from amidst the amazingness that is the con. Yeah, um, thanks, Ben and Trevor, for having me on. That was really fun.
0: And uh, at Ozcomic Con, you can chat with uh, Soph Mather, uh, Hien Pham, and Oscar Britton, um, and we will be on at Saturday at 5 p.m. That's the one. See you there. Peace out. Bye. Thanks, Ash. Bye. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Audible. Audible uh, is an online audiobook service where you can pick up over 180,000 titles. You can get a free trial. Uh, You can listen to it on your iPhone, your Kindle, your Android. You can listen to it probably on your microwave, anywhere you want to listen to it. And the way to get a free trial is to go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash pixelsift. Sift.